My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 115 of Cinepunks, which if we're being honest with each other, that's such a high number in my mind. I thought we were going to crash and burn at like seven. And I know we've been saying that for a little bit, but it's true. I was like, yo, seven episodes, we're killing it. 115. Look at that. Only took us six years to get here. <laughs> I just feel like once you get over 100, to then be amazed by 15 more episodes, it just feels just not right. Like, I feel like I don't want to be amazed until we get to some sort of like significant anniversary number, like 125. I know that's only 10 episodes from now, but that just feels <laughs> like a more serious number. Whereas 115, it's like, if we ended today, this is our last episode, it'd be like, 115, it's not bad. It's just a little over 100. It's not, not so bad. Yeah, you know? Yeah. 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 But, yeah. but 125 is 100 and a quarter. I definitely don't think we should be exonerating these numbers. After all, they don't really mean much in the real world, right? Like, you know, auspicious numbering is just that. But this episode is special, 115, because we have our very dear guest, Mr. Justin Nordell with us. Woohoo! I'm on Cinepunks! I'm so excited. Hey, guys! <laughs> <laughs> We're so excited to have you on. I don't know if that's obvious. No, I'm, I'm excited know. to be on. I've been listening since the probably the 30s in episodes, uh, and I'm just really, Good really Lord. honored you invited me to be on the last episode. <laughs> I know we're we're it's a it's crazy right like you would have thought the last episode was going to be two hundred that's what I thought but here it is we're done it's all and over one fifteen finito you know it was a good run Liam it was a good run I mean it wasn't one twenty five good that's all I'm saying no no we're close though we we were close we could have been a contender but uh, Justin thank you so much for being our guest man I'm really honored that you uh, agreed to join us for this conversation yeah no I'm super excited to be here again longtime listener of the pod longtime lover of both of you guys uh, we met uh, 10 plus years ago I guess probably about 10 years ago maybe a little less uh, through the Philadelphia Film Society Philadelphia Film Festival and lots and lots and lots of movies. Yeah, man, you were uh, you were definitely probably the only person that was kind to us during the entire Philadelphia Film Festival run. <laughs> oh, I mean, if yeah. I whenever had we a dime talk for about every the time I heard that, I'd be rich. Ah. Whenever we talk about the Film Society, we're like, look, it wasn't all bad. There were some nice people there, but and whenever <laughs> we say that, I think, well, yeah, there's Justin, and uh, well, there was Justin, <laughs> and then. Uh, <laughs> that's where it ends it's good it's all uh, good though because we got we got the nicest dude in the film society here with us today on cinepunks and i feel honored it's pretty good man it's funny because it's like we we met during all those like promo screenings and stuff with the film society but um i still see you at all the screenings i still like you're still very even though you're no longer a part of the film society you are still a uh, active film appreciator, yeah? Yeah, I mean that's kind of the benefit uh, of not being a dick is that people will still invite you to stuff. <laughs> so um, <laughs> i've I've done some uh, I've done some critic work, um, you know, from time to time. Uh, back when uh, Philadelphia Magazine was putting out their G Philly, uh, which was their like sure. LGBT. Um, kind of, uh, program. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. I'm really gay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, when they were doing G Philly, they had me do movie reviews for them until G Philly kind of devolved into being a personal blog 
Um, and then I've done some work for We Live Film and We Live Entertainment, which are Scott and Ashley Menzel, formerly of Philadelphia. They're now out in L.A. doing really cool things, and they've had me write for them. Uh, and I've done some other stuff other places. But, uh, yeah, so I, I've kind of stayed on the uh, the press and promo list um, again because I'm not a dick. Yeah, because yeah. you're awesome, man. Thanks. But um, you, you've since pivoted from films to working with the Philadelphia Folk um festival yeah yep uh yeah i moved from uh film to music i'm the executive director of the philadelphia folk song society and we present the oldest continuously run outdoor music festival in north america the philadelphia folk festival uh which is having its 59th festival this year uh and we're actually having it we're one of the only music festivals that's still happening uh but we're doing it all digitally um back in march Um, I, you know, when, when Montgomery County, the next county over from Philadelphia went on lockdown because of a cluster outbreak of COVID, I saw the writing on the wall and just started to hard pivot, um, to try to find some really great, um, partners to, to do this digitally with, um, we're working with a group called Mountain View Staging, who are also doing the Democratic National Convention streams. So, you know, pretty cool. Uh, so they're doing our festival, and uh, we're going to be doing it August uh, 13th through the 16th. Uh, we're always that um, third weekend in August, and uh, yeah, we've been going for 59 years and uh, counting, and we're just really excited. We've got a great lineup this year. I know we have one of your favorites, Mr. Billy Bragg. Never heard of him. Oh, sorry. Must have read that wrong. Yep. <laughs> Never heard of him. Don't have his face tattooed on my body multiple times. But, you know, never heard of him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> super, super, super excited for uh, Billy to be joining us. Um, got a number of other great acts. Uh, ben Gibbard, the lead singer of Def Cab and uh, Postal Service. Uh, we've got Alan Stone, uh, Rhiannon Giddens uh, from Carolina Chocolate Drops and uh, Our Native Daughters. We've got... Uh, Trixie Mattel. We've got just a whole bunch of weird and wonderful people who all took a leap of faith and are like, yeah, let's do this thing. So really excited to have the opportunity to present this. And, and we're doing it on our own platform. We're not using Vimeo. We're not using anything else. We're, we actually had this or uh, this company, Mountain View Staging, build us our own platform so that for years to come, if you know people move or, or age out or aren't able to come to the actual event, we'll be able to stream it and people can enjoy it from everywhere in the world. So I'm really stoked. That's amazing, man. Good work. That's very like, cool. Like that, like knowing to adapt in that way is I think very insightful. And at a time when it seemed like a lot of people were just crossing their fingers and hoping against hope instead of preparing to do something different. Yeah. Pretty brilliant. Pretty brilliant. But can we talk a little bit about Trixie Mattel? <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I, I don't know. I'm I'm unsure if you're aware, Justin. I have a commanding knowledge of You have Trixie Mattel's face tattooed on your body multiple times? Definitely not yet. I have watched all five seasons of uh Trixie and Sasha's uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh Yeah, yeah, and I love it. I love it. Yeah, oh, if I mean, you're not familiar, listeners, just search U-N-H-H-H-H. It's four H's, and you'll find it on YouTube, and it is hilarious. It's a time. It's a time, for sure. But, dude, have you seen Trixie Mattel perform before? I have. Yeah, I've gotten to see Trixie perform live. Trixie actually was uh, at the Leah Course Center 
earlier this year to a nearly sold out audience. So we were really excited that she was going to come and actually perform live for us. The thing that's so funny is we actually tried to book Trixie after she put out her first album, Two Birds, but uh, she went and won RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars and then pushed us back a year and then pushed us back a year. <laughs> and then this was our year. This was the year we had Trixie. She was coming to Philly. She was going to be, you know, if you've never been to the Philadelphia Folk Festival before, it's an 84-acre farm that we set up eight stages for four nights and three days. And Trixie was going to come out there and uh, be in the mud with us. But, uh, uh, yeah, unfortunately, can't make it work in person, but it was super game to do the live stream. I was really excited about it. Fascinating. I actually did not listen to her records until um, you had mentioned that she was going to be on this thing. And I was like, no way. Let me. And I, because I've seen the TV show. So I'm like, wait a minute. And my beautiful wife, Melani, is like, Oh, yeah. No, she sounds awesome. You would totally be into her. She's got like a weird Nick Drake goes country kind of thing going on. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That shit is weirdly majestic in a way that I'm like, oh, my God, I can't imagine what this would be like live. I can't. I don't know what it would look like. Yeah, I'm some wild stuff. I'm excited because she she normally doesn't do music festivals. She normally does comedy and she normally does kind of her own uh, show, which is a bit of music a bit of stand-up, a bit of, you know, production numbers. Uh, but she's doing music and comedy for us, so it, it'll be a lot of music. It's going to be a lot of fun. Now, have you all seen the movie? Doesn't she have that movie on Netflix, uh, Moving Parts or whatever? Yep. Have I have seen not it? seen it. No. Did you oh. see it, Liam? No, and I've been wanting to watch it. Maybe we need to do an episode on it since you're already such a super fan. I don't know if I would count myself as a super fan of Trixie Mattel as I've just come to the, I mean, like, granted, I watched five seasons of that show, but it's like, 10 minute episodes you know what i mean but still yeah but uh, but it's also man. 120 plus 10 minute episodes i mean that that adds up but moving i've seen it moving yeah, parts is actually really good and it was directed by trixie's boyfriend so uh you it definitely gets a little bit more um you know intimate and and personal than i think it would have otherwise which i appreciate it it's actually pretty good so pivoting from movies to a music festival do you ever like still think about like um doing movie stuff like uh just handling movies and all this kind of thing like is it ever a thing that's far from your mind or are you totally in this folk festival lane which i can understand given the breadth of it all like is that is that more the passion now for you so you know it's funny music has always been uh, a huge passion of mine as a film Uh, i actually grew up going to the philadelphia folk festival i went to my first one at four months old um and i've been every year since So I'm 34, and this would have been my 35th festival. Um, My parents actually met at the Philadelphia Folk Festival. So if it wasn't for this, you know, I would not even be here. So, you know, music was always a passion of mine, and and film was something that, you know, came to be because, uh, you know, my parents got divorced really young, and I had that blockbuster dad, is what I call them, the one who, like, let you loose and were like, pick six movies, and they'll be your babysitter. So, you know, I went to the uh, video store, went to, you know, VHS sections, picked out whatever I wanted and, and watched movies all weekend long. And that that was my childhood. So, you know, film's a huge passion of mine, uh, especially horror, because that, those have the best covers. And that's where I made the beeline for. <laughs> and I always picked out uh, things that I should not have been able to watch. But, you know, I had the cool dad who didn't mind. <laughs> The temptation to not be the cool, da- you know, as as a new d- new father, that I'm like constantly like, 
all right, I want to just be like, yeah, it's cool that she's doing this. And then part of me is like, no, you have to socialize her to be around other humans. So you have to ask yourself, would this bum out someone who wasn't you? Yeah, it would. Okay, I should instruct. Not in a harsh way. I don't like to be rough with my little girl. But, you know, if she's doing something that I know in a different situation, she would get in trouble for i gotta be like okay you gotta stop don't, don't do that. that's not a thing you don't want to do that you know but it's like some part of me when she does like truly chaotic stuff there's somewhere inside where i'm like yeah that's right that's right you tell that's us. my baby like, girl okay, let's let's sort of set some boundaries here a little bit just a little bit <laughs> but justin you're definitely one of the people that i think of when i'm impressed about how much uh you've managed to make your passions like a huge part of your life I think that's like a really, really cool thing to be able to do, man. Like, I'm impressed by that. Yeah, it's something that I I figured out at an early age that, you know, I kind of have this mantra, do what you love and love what you do, because it makes every day that much better. Um, And and I I just have kind of stuck to it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've kind of bounced from like job. I'm woefully, uh, you know, not prepared for to other job just because I interview really well. Um, So, uh, and I'm apparently like personable and have my shit together (laughs) and precocious. I don't see it. I don't see it. This all sounds like me. It's all a facade. But, um, you know, I've I've done it. Yeah. Are we talking about the same person? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I, um, you know, used to, before I worked for the Philadelphia uh, Film Society and Film Festival, I worked for a company called Funimation Entertainment uh, that some people might know because they put out. Uh, Akira in the US and they put out Dragon Ball Z and Full Metal Alchemist and all of those big hits and I was an ADR director for them for a couple of years and I directed voice actors dubbing cartoons and I did some voice acting and then I uh, moved into script writing and that's when I moved back to Philadelphia Um, and then I started just working in the arts because that's where my passions were and I kind of maneuvered my way to the, the film society and the film festival did that for a little while until I realized that I was the only nice one there and I wanted to go be with nice people. And then I moved on to, uh, I was with the Fringe Festival and the Fringe, uh, Philadelphia Fringe for a little while. And then when this opportunity came up at the Philadelphia Film Society, I, I took the job. Uh, I've never kept a job for more than two years because I just, you know, around that two year mark, I start looking for other things. I start applying and interviewing because I just kind of get bored, um, I guess, which is like super shitty to say sometimes, especially in a pandemic where a lot of people don't have jobs now. But um, I've had this job right now at the film or sorry, at the Folk Song Society and the Folk Festival for going on six years now. And I love, love, love being here. Uh, There's a huge difference between music and film because film uh, is a little bit more passive uh, in the gratification, whereas, you know, music is super instant in the gratification. And you have all of these people that are seeking that instant gratification. uh, And it's your job to kind of connect them and make it happen. So you're really, really able to, um, you know, get people who are super passionate about something uh, on both ends, on and off the stage and connect them together. And I love that. Uh, it also occurs to me that one of one of the things that really does uh, appeal to you is showing people things that you love. And because, I mean, I sense that when you were uh, opening for, like, you know, doing the intros for films during Film Society stuff and just talking about the folk festival, like, you definitely um, enjoy opening people's minds to different movies and I guess songs too, since, but I've never been to the folk festival, so I don't know, but I'm just saying like that occurs to me. Like when I think about Justin, I I like being a hype man. I like finding things to enjoy (laughs) about 
things and, and conveying that to others. You know, with the, the film society, there are plenty of times where I had to be like, hey, everyone, what you're about to see is real shit. Um, however, I would like to keep an open mind. Look at how well it's shot. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, man. I definitely remember a couple of those. I remember a couple of those. Well, Still it's great funny when you've got me, like but... the director or the talent that are there, and you're just like, this, this is tough. And like, just every, the movie ends, and everyone leaves before the Q and A, and you've just got five people in the audience, and the only question people want to ask is if there's going to be a sequel because all the characters died at the end. Um, so it's just one of those things where I'm like, I don't, I don't miss that too much. I love going to movies, but you know, having to hype that up. You know, with, when it comes to music, I, I now have the luxury where I don't present people that I don't already have a vested interest in. There are plenty of people that I get pitched all the time where I know, you know, oh, that would sell really well. But if I don't love their music or care about it or think that they're doing it for the right reasons, there's uh, hundreds of thousands of other people out there that do. So I feel really privileged uh, that I work for an organization where I get that uh, ability. So yeah, if there's something that I'm like, hey, you've got to check this out, it's because I actually really give a shit about it. That's awesome, man. Good for you. Well, we're so glad that you have joined us for this 115th episode, and you've chosen two of the more wild movies I think we've gotten the chance to cover on this show. And you One, know what? Here's the thing: we've been watching such dour movies lately. Yes, it's like true. we it's true. we just did a, the a double feature of. Uh, uh, Balgo Cantemir movies. It's like, man, that was a rough one. That's heavy. And then we can't. We we did Beanpole and uh, and Closer. Yeah, not feel good hits of the summer. No, I will no. Say feel bad hits of the summer. Although yeah, I have sure. to say, I love Beanpole. I really love that movie. Yeah, we love them too. But I never I, want to I, see them again. I agree. I well, I think Beanpole is way better than Closer, though. I agree. Let's not relitigate that episode. But on this episode. <laughs> We're going to be talking about uh, Killer Workout, a.k.a. Uh, Aerobicide. Side note, I like Aerobicide as a title way more than Killer Workout. Yep. I, just I that think out there? they're both amazing. I would like to name right. two bands after each of those titles. Right. <laughs> well, Aerobicide also, is actually the name of a song in the movie that was made for yeah, the movie. Oh, yeah. 100% noted. It happened, and I was looking at Melani. I was like, this is happening in my ears right now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. we'll get to that. We'll get to and that. And we'll my, my VHS copy of Aerobicide, because I own it on VHS, it was one of the reasons I kept the VCR <laughs> for so long, uh, because I had no way to watch this movie otherwise, uh, was it, it actually says Aerobicide on the VHS tape. Oh, I Amazing. Love I love it. So that. good. Um, and then we're also going to be talking about 1999's Drop Dead Gorgeous, a film that I think is very important to a lot of people that I somehow entirely missed. Although as soon as it started, I, it felt familiar in the sense of I think I've heard people talking about it, but for whatever reason, just never gave it a chance. And I'm really glad that you chose these movies because this is going to be a great conversation. However, we have some obligations. First <laughs> off, I want to thank uh, and Josh as well. And Justin, a little bit too. Everyone who is a supporter of us on Patreon, uh, we have a lot of great people on there who uh, give us their hard-earned ducats uh, for meager benefits, often not even delivered. Uh, many times people go <laughs> full years without getting their T-shirts or free Blu-rays. And uh, sorry, uh, hit us up. We have an email address. Just shoot us an email. What's wrong with you people? Point is, 
we thank you so much for supporting us. It's really great. Uh, and I just I was thinking about this specifically because I just had to go through today and adjust everyone's benefits because they're going to start charging sales tax on Patreon, which is like what? real lame. So if you manage to get your sales tax charged and still support us. Uh, then we love you even more for putting up with that. We also want to thank uh, our sponsors, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, xlvacx.com. That's all you need to know about screen printing. You got a T-shirt, you got some undies, you got some socks, and you want to put a logo on them or a weird image of some kind, or maybe you want a hat that says... uh, put a mask on dingle <laughs> then uh they'll print them for you over there at lehigh valley apparel creations uh chris reject is great and he supports us on patreon so you know that's a double that's a double from chris reject so yeah we, we i, I want to ask chris if he'll make me a mask that says it smells like shit in here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i don't know how how hot of a seller that would be but you know pretty funny I kind of I don't know if he could print this or not, but I kind of want a mask that makes the bottom of my face look like gritty. Uh, I'd be pretty into know. that. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know like if, if it you work. just don't shave and then dye it orange, you'll look like bottom half of gritty anyway. Like oh, on cool. Your face. No, thanks. I appreciate that. That's really great. It doesn't make me you so bad at all. Mighty beard. It's not, not. It is most certainly not mighty. It is a mighty beard, Liam. As an Asian man who cannot grow a beard, that's a mighty beard. Yeah, it's, it's, I can you grow a beard. It's still pretty mighty, Liam. You yeah. see, you, I feel like the bar is too low. It's not that mighty. Anyways, point is, there's something else we're supposed to do right now, Josh. And I, it, What is it we do at this point? In the I show? don't know. I mean, Justin, you've been listening since the 30s. Is there a thing that happens at this point in the show? Uh, well, at this point in the show, you usually ask the guests if they want to go first, in the middle, or last <laughs> to talk about whack or on track. Yeah! <laughs> that was the best! I oh, like man. the idea that I'm you sorry. did it without us. That's better. And it also helped so us, kept good. us from wasting time. I appreciate that. <laughs> I was like, so do, do you want to go? Applause? You guys can see me. I can't see you. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Well, I was going to jump in and then I thought, oh, it's much better if he just does it alone and we don't even do it. I like that a lot. <laughs> so good. I like that me and Liam didn't even say anything and just let it happen. That's <laughs> yeah. so good. So well, good. So also, good. again, just so the listener knows, we are looking at Justin, and Justin is not looking at us, and it feels so good. <laughs> like, I've been picking my nose and picking my ears and stuff. It's, and It's good. It's good. It's good. I, so, I have a, I have Justin, a, as our guest, would you like to go first or in the middle or last? I will go first because I know from listening that Liam hates when somebody goes in the middle. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't so, know why middle is the choice. Middle shouldn't be the choice. It should be first or last. <laughs> so go ahead, Justin. What have you done recently that is whack and or on track? All right. Uh, so I will give an on track uh, shout out to a bunch of really awesome film festivals that have gone digital this year uh, that have allowed for me to join, especially when I would never have gotten to them anyway. Uh, got to go to the Chattanooga Film Festival. Shout out to Josh Goldblum, who uh, helped out with that. Yeah, I did as well. I did as well. Saw a lot of really good stuff so there. Uh, I did the uh, Asia, uh, Austin Asian American Film Festival. Shout out to Jenny Nolf, who programmed uh, that. And that was so good. Um, and there's been a bunch of others that I've started signing up for, because if we're all going to be home for a little while, let's at least you know support 
these organizations and cinema while we still can. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there's just lots and lots of great content out there. So super, super excited that people are doing that. So that's uh, that's definitely my first. Uh, that's that's my first on track. Uh, I'm gonna be like super selfish and say another on track thing is having the digital Philadelphia Folk Festival this year. I'm and we announced our lineup just yesterday, so that's why I'm still super hype about it. Uh, but yeah, I'm super super excited. Um, and uh, I will also say, and on track is in quarantine. I've been watching like the entire filmography of Hong Sang Soo, the Korean film director. Uh, and I like nice. quickly become obsessed with him, you know, because Korean cinema today, uh, there's a lot of, you know, Park Chang Wook and Bong Joon Ho, but Hong Sang Soo, like that man is able to like take that, you know, typical kind of adult man child character that we see in so many movies and actually like make them a human being. And I feel like he bases so many of the characters off of himself, acknowledging what a shitty person he is. Um, and each film that he does, I feel like he just kind of pulls the mirror closer and closer to him. Uh, it, it's just been really, really cool getting to go through his filmography. So I've been super stoked about that. Uh, but my whack is I signed up for HBO uh, Max, which was like <laughs> a thing that I thought would be super cool. But I own like over 4,000 movies because I'm super into physical media and so I was like well I've already got the complete works of Studio Ghibli and I've already got this and I can already watch most of these movies on Criterion because they have a ton of Criterion movies on there um shout out to Ashes and Diamond which is a really awesome Polish movie uh about the last day of World War II um but you know other than that I was kind of like why did I sign up for this one so not wondering if I'm going to keep it for that much longer except it has dropped that gorgeous on there it's the only streaming service that does so y'all should sign up for a free trial just to watch that for this episode <laughs> and that's it I'm done awesome it's good stuff man good I stuff. really I I'm glad you said all that because I'm really like envious so HBO Max is like not available on Roku or through Amazon, so like therefore I have no way to even access it. So I've been feeling so much FOMO about it. So hearing you be like, "Nah, it's not that cool," kind of is cool for me. Although to be fair, there's still stuff on there I want to watch. Like there's a couple of things, not a lot, but a couple of things that I'm like, Ugh, I wish I could catch that. <laughs> awesome. So you want to go next, Liam, or you want me to go? Uh, I can go. That's fine. You probably have a million things because even in the middle of a pandemic, you're a busy, fun person. <laughs> but uh, for me, let's see. On track, all my so a lot of my on tracks, y'all, are going to be related to watching stuff with my daughter because we've we've really hit like a a, a a good streak of finding things that she'll put up with that we don't hate. So we uh, <laughs> we had I had talked previously about bluey uh and i think i also talked about kipo on here did i talk about kipo yeah you did you talked about kipo last episode yeah Yeah. we i finished kipo all together and it was really great but then um one of the guys who's a main writer on uh avatar uh and Korra has a show that he created called the dragon prince uh and it's three seasons on netflix first season is a little slow and i was actually starting to think like i don't know if i'm into this but a bunch of people on twitter who are fans of the show or or friends were like keep it going don't give up 
It's going to be great. And by the time we finished season three, I was like, that show was awesome. Like, it's just very <laughs> good. Uh, I think there's part of the issue is that the first season, the animation is a little not bad. It's a little choppy. Like, they're, they're, like, it's such a vast improvement from season one to season two in the fluidity of the animation. Yeah, my, my buddy yeah. David Breen got me hooked on it when we were at a like kickball tournament, I think in San Diego, and we had nothing to do. And he was like, hey, we're watching this while we sober up. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, yeah, I really, I really, really liked it. I also um, caught the We Bear Bears movie. Uh, oh, I still it, haven't watched it. How is it? In, in true We Bear Bears fashion, it's both hilarious and it kind of made me a little emotional at the end. So there you go. That's uh, that's how they do those bears. Uh, they really got me in. <laughs> and then on the on the not like emotionally engaging, but just kind of mindless TV tip, me and the wife uh, started watching with Maeve. Uh, the floor is lava on Netflix. <laughs> You're so conflicted by how much you love this show. It's so stupid it's so stupid it's one of the dumbest things i've ever watched and i enjoyed every moment of it it is like uh, okay they talked a little bit about this on our our friends uh podcast not about this show but about this concept on a uh broadsheet breakdown for those of you who listen to to that show as well they talked about how the appeal of american gladiators back in the day was that it was a shit show right like normal people trying to do stuff or whatever but the thing about american gladiators and some of their grandchildren that are popular today things like american ninja warrior and stuff like that these are high athletic types these are people who are really doing something and the thing about a show like the floor is lava is that these are jerk offs like not a single one of them (laughs) is athletically capable and the ones who are often fail yeah like the ones who really screw it up are the ones who actually are kind of like i was in i'm a marine and i could do anything i want and blah blah because they don't ask for help and the thing is you can't get across the lava josh if you don't get help, there's multiple rooms in this thing where if someone doesn't help you out, you're just not going to do it. And there's these like muscle bound, you know, idiots trying to do it on their own, looking like dingles, you know. Uh, so, anyways, <laughs> uh, point is, it's funny. It's got a lot of people falling in painful ways. I love that. A lot of people looking <laughs> dumb, and a lot of uh, victories by people who are not in particularly good shape. They just are smart enough to go like, "Well, you just hold it." Just hold it for me, and then I can get across. And then, like, they win, you know? So I just love that. Everything about that makes me happy. So uh, as far as actual movies, I don't think I've been able to watch a single thing that wasn't for a podcast. Now, to be fair, I'm on a multiple podcasts, and I did a guest spot on a uh, friend of the show, uh, Ryan uh, Hendricks's podcast. Anyways, point is, uh, I've been on a bunch of stuff lately, and so I've been watching movies for that. And you know, they're good, they're bad, but you can hear them on other shows. It's not really worth it. The only thing I listened or I listened to, I watched uh, movie wise that I really wanted to make sure we talked about on here was I finally watched that Scream Queen documentary on Shudder. Yeah, oh, the one about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street two. Yeah, basically the Scream Queen of Nightmare on Elm Street two. And kind of about his life. It's it's about his experience. It's about the time period. It's about the awful sort of uh, convergence of factors that sort of made that such a bad experience for him. Because it's not just that the film sort of had this intentional or unintentional. It seems like it was intentional. Uh, gay subtext at a time when that was sort of shutting down. It, it also sort of was right at the the very sort of cusp of the panic around AIDS and so a lot of 
you know, Mark's agents and stuff were telling him, like, you're not going to get any roles. Like, you can't play straight. Like, this is it. You've ruined your career with this one movie. And, like, could you imagine? Like, this was supposed to be his big break. I mean, not that he wasn't known before. He was in um, Welcome Home, Jimmy Dean. Yeah, Jimmy Come Dean Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Yes, with, uh, yes, yes, Karen yes. Black and Cher. That movie's amazing. If you've Whoa. never seen it, it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, he was in Karen the stage. Black and Cher. You had he me. was in the stage show first, actually, and then they did a movie version. Yeah, and it's Robert Altman, and you know, it's a it's a classic. It's a fucking classic movie. It sort of got him a lot of like respectability, both because he was in the movie, but also he was you know in the stage show. He's still the theater where they had it. He's still caricatured on the fucking wall. Like he had you know he was on the rise in a certain way. And then this Nightmare on Elm Street deal was supposed to be his break into more like teenager rock and roll culture which like if you can jump from robert altman stage show slash movie to you know multi-million dollar horror film i mean keep in mind nightmare on elm street was a fucking phenomenon like it was one of the most critically yeah it was one of the most critically acclaimed horror films ever it made all of the money and when nightmare on elm street 2 you know came out it was all over Times square it was like a big fanfare but audiences hated it and you know we can argue about how much of that was um you know what we talk about with it now which is uh a lot of the various subtexts and themes going through it and how much was just they wanted some more freddie like freddie was already starting to become the star and they wanted more freddie in the movie who knows but the film focuses a lot on his experience and you know the narrative about the film mostly because of the screenwriter was something like maybe mark had ruined the movie and this documentary i think does a lot of work to kind of take that away and really say like that's not what this is about at all and really have a lot of the actors who were in the movie be like yeah no i do like straight up his co-star was like i assumed it was a explicitly gay horror movie like that was the point of the movie like like wow. none of this well there's subtext or is a, if you look at it a certain way like people on set were like yeah this is what we're doing here right that's this is the point <laughs> you know and so it, i guess it, it's a lot for me at least a lot of the movie is about the screenwriter gaslighting mark for like 30 fucking years yeah. basically and it's upsetting and not just mark the country right because there's a lot of people who watched it were like Oh, I identify with this. I identify with this character. Jesse is me. Like I feel that. And here's a screenwriter going, "Nah, it's not there. It's not a thing." Blah blah. Multiple fucking interviews. You know. So, anyways, if if you're someone who cares about this sort of thing, but also like it's it's not just a, a message documentary. It's compelling and it's interesting, and I really think it's worth checking it out. So, it's called Scream, comma Queen, uh, and it has a whole you know my nightmare. Something, something, something. It <laughs> it's uh, it's, Queen, it's, it's really my good. nightmare on Elm Street. Um, yes, and it's, yes, yes. it's really, really good. I mean, I'm uh, super biased about it just because um, I have gotten to uh, at least, you know, chat with one of the filmmakers uh, and Tyler and Roman. They're both really great guys. Um, and uh, my friends for their podcast, Horror Queers, actually got to do an interview with uh, Mark Patton is his name. Uh, live uh, in Austin uh, uh, before a screening of the documentary. And uh, it's really, really enlightening because he has so much, you know, bottled up feelings after 30 years of his career just being completely, you know, dive bombed by this this film. You know, he really 
everyone around him kind of saw the overt subtext um, and he chose not to see it because he himself was gay, because he himself was was in the closet and, and hiding and was told he could not come out. Um, and so to be able to have him now kind of be able to years later find out that there are all of these people that love this movie, that love what the subtext has and who Jesse is and what he represents. I mean, Jesse's the first final boy. Let's call a spade a spade. I mean, he really is one of the first final boys in horror, which is pretty cool. Um, And, you know, he has that that legacy and he's only now just kind of being able to reclaim it. And, um, you know, there's a really great moment towards the end where he actually finally gets to sit down with the screenwriter um, and it's it's tense. And I really appreciated how the film was put together um, because it just really tells his story um, in, in such a unique uh, way. And I'm so happy that Shudder picked it up so that other people would get a chance to see it because it is great. Seeing the ways that this film impacted people and whether, you know, whatever the response was, that was people who didn't appreciate it. Um, seeing the response uh, from people who really connected with it was like, you know, it, it really touched me. It really was like a reminder of the power that art can have when it reaches out to folks and it gives them uh, something to connect with. And, you know, anyways, I don't, I don't want to say too much about it because there is stuff that I want people to see for themselves. Uh, and, and what I liked about it is I, I saw Mark Patton do a Q&A after uh, a screening of the film in the Poconos. And, you know, I thought, well, I got a lot of what he, what's going to be in this movie in that Q&A. So, like, I'm excited to see the movie, but I probably know a lot of this stuff. And there was a ton in there. I had no idea. So even if you think you know the story, you read the article about it, you read the Fangoria about it, trust me, like, you don't know the full thing, and it's worth watching. And I think the filmmakers did a really good job of bringing a ton of voices in. And also, like, reminding you that it's still a thing, right? They're talking to people at conventions today in, well, this is a few years ago, but... In, in recent memory, who are saying the movie is too gay for them. Like, just straight up saying blatantly homophobic things as if they're not being filmed for all time. For all time! Like, I was watching this thing being like, you know you're on camera, right? Like, what kind of jerk-off? I mean, uh, let's be honest, guys. We know a lot of those jerk-offs. <laughs> it's, it's well, I, things- okay, so... I was just going to say, it, it's one of those things, you know, being gay and being a huge horror fan has has always been go, gone hand in hand for me because I feel as if horror speaks so much to the queer community because there's always this, you know, otherness to it. But you always you see yourself yeah. in the final girl or the final guy because there's that fight for survival to live your life and be who you are. But then you also see yourself in the monster because of how society recognizes and, and sees you um, as a as a LGBTQ person that they don't understand. So there's a huge, huge subsection of, of horror fandom that is queer, and there are so many people that refuse to admit it. Meanwhile, like, my podcast that I listen to beh- besides Cinepunks, I mean, are horror queers, Homos on Haunted Hill, Friday the 13th, Dirty Little Horror, <laughs> Scarred for Life, which is run by Gailey Dreadfuls, Terry Menard. Like, it's just there's so yeah. many great queer horror podcasts out there because that there's such a voice that, that's needing to be heard in, in the community. <clears throat> How about you, Josh? What's what's going on with you, Whacking on Track? Uh, whacking you- on Track, um, let me say, I got a couple things that are pretty on track. Number one, 
Uh, Cross Keys was invited by my friend Mr. Derek Moore to be on a uh, benefit tape called 19, point, 19 Notes on a Broken System. And uh, it was 19 tracks donated by Philadelphia area punk bands. And um, up until July 4th, all proceeds from the comp were going to the Philadelphia Community Bail Fund and the Amistad Law Project. And so this came out on the 10th officially. And since the 10th of uh, last month, we raised $2,000. So we were able to donate $1,000 to each of those um those funds just from the just from the sales of the tape and online on Bandcamp, and then um, starting this Saturday, we're pivoting all proceeds from this work to um, Black Trans Femmes in the Arts Collective. So, um, so yeah, so hopefully we'll be able to bring a lot of money in for them as well. But it's been pretty good. It's Krosky's, uh donated the song Saviors, which I know you like, Liam, and. Um, it's been pretty cool to be featured on a comp that has bands like Dark Thoughts, Interloper, Open City, Grey Cell, like a bunch of a uh, bunch of bands from the area that we we love and friends friends from like uh, my friend Sharon's band The Ramoms is on here, uh, former Halo of Snakes guitar player George Chamberlain's band. Um, they're called Ritual Earth. Yeah, they're on. They donated a track. It's like and the Dead Milkman have an unreleased track on here. So. Um, it's a pretty cool comp to be a part of, and it's it feels really good to uh, to know that we donated a song to a thing that uh, raised a lot of money for for organizations that uh, could use it. So, um, nineteen notes on a broken system, and it's cool too because like uh, Justin Gray, who if uh, longtime Cinepunk uh, fans will remember, he designed one of our T-shirts, the superhero T-shirt for Cinepunks, and he also did uh, a bunch of cross key shirts for me too. He designed the cover and all that stuff, and um, uh, oh, the old drummer, from, one of the old drummers from Cross Keys, Steve Roach, did the whole mastering of the the comp and everything. So it's a pretty cool community like feeling to be a part of it. And I'm really happy that Derek asked us to be on there. And um, yeah, so so that's pretty cool. That's pretty on track. Another thing that happened this week is that um, a band called Be Well released a video for their song Confessional. And the video contains both myself and my beautiful wife, Melani in it. And it's pretty cool to be in a rock video. I don't know. It's only happened to me one other time. And uh, this time it wasn't my band. So it was pretty cool. So that happened. And that's pretty on track. Um, another thing that was really fun is that the Pet Shop Boys remastered five of their videos from between 1984 and 1993 and re-released those. So they, they re-released official videos for Western Girls, for, uh, What Have I Done to Deserve This, for It's a Sin, and for Domino Dancing, and for Go West. And I don't know if you know, I'm a huge Pet Shop Boys fan, so it's cool seeing all those videos. So that, that was all on track. Um... Whack, I watched The Girl on the Third Floor starring CM Punk, I'm going to say. Not my favorite. Um, it was kind of a bummer. Oh, another thing that was kind of on track is that um, I've been abusing a lot of drugs lately. And it's been really fun in quarantine to be really high. Nothing crazy. <laughs> I, I mean, here's the thing. It's wartime rules, Liam. You understand. Like, I'm not out here, like, fucking shooting heroin. I'm I'm not, like, doing anything, like, synthetic or crazy or any of the stuff that's going to cause me to run naked down Broad Street. I've just been enjoying, like, a lot of, uh, you know, stuffs. And, um, yeah, I 
I did mushrooms the other day. It was pretty awesome. Nice. It was six hours of joy. I watched my ceiling fan breathe for like 20 minutes, which felt like three hours. And then uh, I watched Fantasia. That was the thing that happened. Good call. Poor choice. I'm, I'm going to put it out there. It was weird. But um, I had a whole lot of fun and I laughed a bunch. And um, yeah, like I said, wartime rules. So I'm doing drugs. It's fine. Um, that's been pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then whack was that I watched the CM Punk movie. And man, that movie was not my favorite. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I also watched the new Kevin Bacon movie, The You Should Have Left, I believe Ugh. it's called. Yeah. yeah, real bad. Yeah, that was a thing. It was, uh, it was like, I don't know. It's fine. You know <laughs> what? Five five favorite, stars but... for house porn, but like two stars for movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It feels just like this whole House of Leaves thing is in all these new movies and stuff. Like it was in that one French miniseries that Shutter put out, that four part thing about the house that's bigger on the inside yeah. than the outside, people getting lost. Mom. It's fine. It's a creepy concept, I guess. Like I'm into it. It's okay. But yeah, that movie was just. You know, not not so much my favorite. I'm going to be honest with you, but um, yeah, and that's that's it. That's what I've done. That was whacking on track. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about killer workout and drop dead gorgeous. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I was I literally paused because I was going to be like, wait, what's the other name again? And I kept oh, wanting man. to just say aerobics, and I'm like. <laughs> No, that's not right. It's not right. It's uh, aerobicide. Is there? Okay, wait. Really quick. Is there another name for this movie? Is this movie also called Death Spa, or is that a different? No, Death Spa Spa is is a a different different movie. movie. Uh, But they it came out like two years after this movie came out. So when they do the graffiti and they write Death Spa on the window, like who knows? It may have inspired Death Spa. But Death Spa is like a crazy possession movie. I don't like it as much as this one, but it's still fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, we'll be right back. I can see. 
so yeah justin you picked two camp movies for us to watch for this episode and uh when you first said camp by the way i was so straight i was just like these are set in camps i don't think that's true (laughs) they're going to the woods and pitching and then i remember that and then i started watching killer workout and it was like you know 20 minutes and i went Oh camp. Okay, I got you. I got. I've I've I've, I've connected. So, uh, listeners at home, since we can see Justin and Justin can't see us, I think it would fit that we will tell you that our man's Justin is wearing not one, but two promotional items. One from each of these movies today, and I think that is commitment on a level that we have yet to see on Cinepunks. Will we ever see it again? I don't know. I can't even say. I can't. Well, that's say. assuming that we're going to see our guests into the future. But <laughs> Justin, this this Skype connection might be the last time we even see a guest on this show. Who knows? <laughs> uh, yeah, Justin's rocking this Rhonda's workout shirt, thus proving he is a true fan of true Killer Workout, fandom. a movie that I've watched one other time, and on rewatch, I was like. Oh right! Like there were just little things to get. Oh right, that like occurred to me. But it, it had been a while since I'd seen it. Justin, why kill a workout? Tell us about your how you discovered this movie, your connection to this movie, how you have a sweatshirt from the movie. <laughs> Did you make the sweatshirt yourself? Is my question. Someone, someone had it made for me. So uh, yeah, this this, awesome. this was made for me. Which you know, when when you get uh, a gift that is this ridiculous, you're just like oh. You know me. Like, this is so good. Um, I first saw this film when I was, I believe, nine or ten years old. And again, it was, I went to the uh, video store, went to the horror section. You know, it was sitting there in the A's aerobicide. And I was like, oh, I get it. That's a pun. Um, so I just, you know, took it off the shelf, brought it home, 
watched it and just was like, <laughs> what is this movie? Um, and when, you know, I got the, uh, the option from Josh to pick any two movies, I'm gay, so I love a theme. So I figured we could call this episode <laughs> Summer Camp, uh, and I'd pick two just super, super campy movies. Um, because camp is like one of those things that is just so much of what my love of cinema is, is that you find these cult and camp movies that are just so unnatural, but they're in their own world and they fully commit to it. And I just love that about movies like this. And, and Killer Workout is, in my opinion, the 80s-est horror movie that has ever existed. It looks like it's made out of cocaine. It looks like anthropomorphic <laughs> cocaine, this movie. I mean, I've never done cocaine. Not on the list. I'm just saying, if I were to imagine what cocaine in the 80s would be like if it became a horror movie, with, instead of the actual 80s horror movie that was cocaine, I would say this is it. <laughs> you are not far off. Yeah, this this movie is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. So this was your first time seeing it, right, Josh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Never saw it before. Nice. This was a fantastic watch. Me and Melani were howling the entire runtime of this movie. Every five minutes was just something that was just like either like what the shit or like this is amazing. It was wow, quite a time, quite a time. Just the fact that our uh, you know death object, you know, like the we're seeing the hands in the camera and they're holding the object uh, uh, to death, and it's a giant safety pin. Is already like what the fuck is happening, <laughs> dude? Unbelievable. Yeah, no, he, it's he, so he, good. Like we get our first death twelve minutes in, and it's this just gorgeous naked woman in the shower, <laughs> and down comes the safety pin, and you're like, wait, that can't be right. And then it just keeps going, <laughs> and then it gets her right in the neck, and it goes so deep, and you're like, oh, 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 this is legit. And then they pull it out, and she covers it, and then all the blood just starts coming out. It's so good. Man, as a kid, I loved, uh, loved, loved this from the first kill. I was in. I was sold. When I, when, I, when I was watching horror movies as a kid, right, one of the concerns that adults would have is that horror movies combined sex and violence in such a way that it would warp my, my little brain, right? But... Honestly, a lot of the sexuality in horror movies, right, is not that horny. It's just some cheap, you know, female nudity real quick. Just some boobs, and then we move on. And whatever there is of, like, sex or sexuality is, like, the cheapest, least interesting thing. This, though, is a sweaty movie. This is a fucking horny (laughs) movie. This is a movie that exists for two reasons. Death and horny aerobics. That's it. <laughs> There's nothing else to the film. It is a murder scene, horny aerobics. Murder scene, horny aerobics. And it's like so wait, one wait, of the wait. first films... Go ahead. Before we go further into it, Justin, would you like to offer a brief synopsis of this movie? Oh, sure. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Um, so this movie, <laughs> which, by the way, many, many spoilers will follow. So if you have not seen this just absolute 80s gem i highly recommend hopping on your grandparents amazon prime account and watching it because <laughs> it is a delight um so a brief synopsis of this film we uh open uh with a uh, mysterious woman who um checks her answering machine and finds out that she has gotten the cover of cosmopolitan magazine and then she goes into what i think is her home tanning bed 
Um, and then, you know, precursor to Final Destination 20 some odd years later gets trapped in the tanning bed and fries. Uh, that's the opening of the movie and we immediately cut to horny aerobics. Um, and then, <laughs> and then as Liam so eloquently put it, this movie is death, horny aerobics, death, horny aerobics. There are eight aerobics classes scenes in this. This is essentially a workout video that has death interspersed. Like it is so utterly ridiculous, but we have, um, our, uh, character Rhonda of my, uh, shirt fame who owns uh, Rhonda's workout. It's a gym for horny 20 and 30-somethings from the looks of it. Um, and she and the incredible employees there uh, become concerned after a dead body is found in the shower, uh, and then a subsequent body is found, and then another body is found, and then a whole bunch of bodies are found, but no one stops coming to this gym. Like, I would stop coming to my gym if I found out one person had athlete's foot, let alone if six people had died. Like, the thing that is insane is that, you know, we probably have about, like, uh, six or seven deaths, and then they start happening at the gym in broad daylight in front of everyone, and it just keeps happening. And then we've got this lieutenant, who is just this, this this police lieutenant who's overacting the entire time, and he is just hot on the trail, and then we've got this brand new employee, no one knows where he came from, could he be the killer? And then, of course, there's tons of horny co-eds and tons of horny people that are either working out or dying or both, um, up until we get to uh, what is an epic conclusion and then after we find out who the murderer is, the movie's like, nah, we got another 10 minutes because we're going to have this giant crazy scene uh, where the murderer is in this giant gold lame gown for no reason. And then we have the police lieutenant giving this dramatic monologue. Uh, and then we've got the super crazy ending where we find out that not only was the murder weapon a safety pin, it was a keychain. It is a keychain that was used as a murder weapon. At one point, the safety pin goes through the center of a man's skull, piercing his brain and murderizing him. And it's a keychain. This movie's amazing. It's the most low effort. Mur it's literally like, what do I have in my purse? Let me see here. Oh, look, I've got this safety pin. I guess I'll commit some murders with it. Um, I will make violence with this here safety pin that's used to hold Catholic schoolgirl skirts up, which I only know because Melani told me that's what her skirt holder upper was. So there you go. To, to give, I mean, look, no 80s horror movie is what you would refer to as sensitive. <laughs> or uh, politically correct, obviously. That's just not right. a thing you look for. But it is astounding to me, A, as we've already pointed out, this is an incredibly horny movie, and multiple points where they could be building dread, they're just like, ah, but we've got all this good footage of people doing aerobics, so let's just do more of that. But B, um, there are a ton of red herrings, just a shit ton of red herrings. And then the yeah. big reveal where the detective is like, no, I figured it out, and you're the killer, his only piece of evidence is the horrifying accident that has deformed this woman. So, uh, you know, spoiler alert, the Rhonda of Rhonda's workout uh, is the killer. And it turns out, A, 
that she has been discovered purely because the cop's like, well, she's all burnt up, so it's probably her. B, <laughs> he's right. That's the part that's like actually upsetting. And... <laughs> <laughs> and and see, she's just like maintains this gym. It seems like just to draw people in and murder them more. Which the the, the what the, kind of a business the, model is that? Even in the eighties, well, that's <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like the film never addresses the idea that like because the film ends with like and she's gonna kill again. And I'm like, you know how easy it would have been to have like at least one scene that's like this is how she plans to kill in the future and not get caught next time. But instead, there's just going to be another man accosting her in the woods saying, I know you're all burned up. That means you're a killer because you have burns. And I know it's true. Like she gets back from killing the I mean, we're, we've skipped all the way to the end, but she gets back from killing the detective and I'm guessing burying him in the woods and then just gets applause. Like she walks into a full gym of people who have not run away from murder gym who applaud her. There's this awkward close up of her not looking in the camera, smiling off in the distance. And and then we just see the giant keychain of death. And we know she's going to kill again. It, oh, it's so good. It's so good. It makes no sense. Ah, it's genius. Ah, it's brilliant. So yeah, we, yeah. We have one really significant red herring right in this like jerk off dude and the thing that's crazy about the the him being the most obvious red herring right is that like it kind of plays like a like a slight defense of like creepy stalkers in general like because it turns <laughs> out he really loves Rhonda. i mean sure i get the feeling he would be willing to sexually assault anyone at the gym but <laughs> he actually is in love with Rhonda, and so he fucking kills someone to take the heat off her this is the point at which I'm sitting there going, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I just can't believe... How about, how about that that creeper looks like Matt Berry? He looks yeah. like he looks like Matt Berry in, Darth, in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place as, like, Sanchez. It's so good. The oh thing that's God, so that crazy mullet. about these characters the is that, frankly, the only way you can tell them apart sometimes is from their workout outfits because they wear the same right. ones throughout the movie so the guy that we're talking about the creepy guy jimmy is in this like black racerback tank top there is another guy named tommy in a red tank top that looks identical to him like 100 <laughs> it's so true uh. there are multiple scenes where i was confused whether it was w- which one it was i was like wait a minute is this okay no i think this is the other guy okay all right Honestly, you got to look at the tank tops. Yeah. You got to look at the tank tops. And it's the same thing with um, Jamie, who's kind of our main instructor, who we learn uh, who her, she gets her throat slit in the dream sequence um, because, you know, every 80s movie needed one. Um, so she's like the fake seventh kill. Uh, but then she's like the real ninth kill uh, when she's found hanging in a closet because let's switch it up from the uh, safety pin. But then the girl that finds her looks exactly like her and we've never seen this character before i'm like what is going on honestly i was like oh my god is this a movie about doppelgangers is it a clone movie is it no it's just the 80s and everybody looked the same and worked out in high heels i might add that yes she is in four inch heels four inch red heels (laughs) leading a workout class it's insane it's so good so good there are multiple things. I mean, so we've covered some of the the more obvious 
crazy things about this movie. One of the things is I had no sense of the geography of this gym. Like, other than the fact that there's a room large enough to do aerobics in, and then there's a room with equipment in it that has stairs coming out of it, but it just seems like whatever the need is, this gym is infinitely large and has infinite rooms. And I'm I, the whole time I just kept being like, I have no feeling of, like, are they further like how many layers does this gym have like talk about a place whose like interior is bigger than its exterior (laughs) it just felt like there it is (laughs) <laughs> there so i mean cor- correct me if i'm wrong this is literally just aerobics are popular incredibly and it's yeah it's, this side is like note, olivia newton john let's get physical but extended for an hour and a half and horrorized i mean uh, look aerobics don't happen anymore do they am i crazy no they no like, they still there have is no one doing aerobics at uh at uh city fitness or whatever here in philadelphia it's still a thing. Although nobody wears those outfits where I think they had to like sure. tuck their vaginas up inside of them. That is some serious spandex. <laughs> it's a, and the whole movie looked like it was sponsored by Lycra or whatever makes Lycra. But that's the other thing. Like Lycra and the, cocaine. For all the working out in here, I told Melania while we were watching it, I was just like, I'd like to see the science behind these maneuvers because I'm not so sure about their capacity to burn any type of significant calories because they don't look at all like they're actually doing any good for anyone except for the pervy cameraman watching the busty woman and like all the ladies working out. I want to see the science on all those aerobic maneuverings. I mean, there's a lot of air humping in the movie, just a ton of air humping. So much. Um, Dude, can we talk about the telephone when, when the one lady takes Red Shorts Man uh, to her yard? Yeah, she, she takes him to sit Pepsi? on, like, old Kmart lawn furniture in the backyard yeah. that's just sitting there in the middle of the yard by itself. And there's a phone on there with a, with a cord that he uses to call someone. Ah, my goodness. That's it's what I'm so saying. Good. Like, everything that isn't aerobics... Or the specific kill scenes feel so light it could just float away. Like none of it matters. <laughs> like the strongest character, other than the cop who like is just angry and oh doesn't my God. actually his, do any his detective. His overacting work. is so good. His lines are so oh. good. Oh yeah, dude, he is up there with um with the detective in Night of the Creeps. Like he's out there with a uh, thrill me, like. I mean, I love don't, Tom don't, Atkins. Don't, don't you besmirch Tom Atkins on this I podcast. love Tom Atkins. I'm not saying that I don't. I'm just saying that this man's going for some heavy Tom Atkins. And I'm going to say it was effective. I was into it. There's a great moment after the first death where the, 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 the uh, detective is interviewing Rhonda and Jamie, which, by the way, in the credits is spelled J-A-I-M-Y. No parent in the history of ever <laughs> Has spelled their child's name J A I M Y. Sorry to all the Jaimais that are out there, um, but he he is asking them questions, and Jamie just goes, "She was so pretty," and then without missing a beat, the detective goes, "Not anymore." And it's so good. Ah man, 
genius. God damn brilliant. And so the the whole thing around this film just revolves around she's mad other people are pretty. Is that really like <laughs> that that is what? that is what it's we are so made good. to believe from the 18,000 minute monologue that the detective gives at the end where we find out that his father also was a cop that murdered someone who got off. Um <laughs> love character development <laughs> at the ninth minute mark, like ninety minute mark. That's great. I also love the idea that the only way she could show that she is burnt is specifically to reveal her breasts. Like that <laughs> she couldn't just pull her sleeve up and go, You're right, I am burnt. She had to flash him. It was like it's just so unnecessary. Oh my it, but if they're yeah. crazy. The prosthetics are insane. Like I have not seen boobs in years insane. for obvious reasons. They don't look like that. That is insane. Burned boobs. Nope. Those those burned boobs are definitely something you do not forget soon. I do nah. want to say if you're if you do follow us, uh, our our instructions to you and watch this on Amazon Prime. Um, the copy that's on there is definitely a VHS rip. There's literal tracking issues on the digital <laughs> copy. Don't During try to adjust the gunfight scene. Yeah, don't try yeah. to adjust your tracking. That's a that's a digital copy. You won't be able to do it. I will say that uh, Slasher Video put out an amazing Blu-ray of this where they did a restoration to the best of their ability, but there are two instances that they had to use Betamax. They had to use Betamax. So, wow. And it's actually in the scene in the backyard with the other red herring, which is Chuck the new employee. Chuck Dawson, new employee. Um, so Chuck Dawson, new employee who's in the backyard – uh, while they're sitting back there, um, they all of a sudden it gets super fuzzy and the sound gets a little elongated because they had to use a beta master. It's hilarious. Is Chuck possibly the worst private eye of all time? Oh, worst private eye, but amazing street fighter. There yes. Are, there are so many like just knuckle street fights in this movie. And it's actually really interesting because the director, David A. Pryor, um, he, his first, first movie was Sledgehammer, which is an infamous trash horror movie if you've never Love seen it. it. Um, it. but from there, he went on to do like the B minusest of action movies for probably like 10, 20 years. Um, so this was him like obviously wanting to make that transition, but those Chuck versus Jimmy fights are so choreographed. Uh, dude, there's a raking where he gets raked in the leg at the pool scene. Holy Moses. That was brilliant. Goddamn genius, actually. <laughs> so good. Also, I have to say, this is one of the more fun watches I've had in a long time. I love when <laughs> yeah, Chuck the I, Private Eye goes like spelunking undercover wearing a blue wife beater and a trucker cap to sneak into somebody's house. Brilliant. Yeah. This man knows what he's doing. It's so good, though. He that does no detective so work. Like, the whole movie, he's just there to, like, loaf and fight people. And that's, like, his... That's all he does. <laughs> and then Chuck dies when Jimmy hits him with his car and then finishes him off with, I think it's a screwdriver? Yeah. Wild. Wow. Absolutely wild. So good. So hey. good. Matt Barry. Hey y'all! You should watch Killer Workout. There's not there's not a lot for us to analyze other than to be amazed at the at the crazy. But it may, you know it is definitely a film that makes choices. There's no part of this movie that's like uh, chill. There's no like I guess this will work. Like everything is crazy. The only thing that 
I guess you could see as lazy, but it, it's an entertaining, is the multiple times where instead of like conversations, there's just footage of aerobics. But that's like why you're there, right? right. Like you chose this movie for killing and aerobics, and the film knows that, and it's not gonna it's not gonna deny you that. It's not gonna not let you have killing and aerobics. It's gonna give you that fucking shit hard. And it does not only not only is it going to give you that shit, but then it's going to play a song that's called Aerobicide while you're fun. watching so people good. working out. Yeah, I, I will say I have searched and searched and searched for an actual soundtrack to this movie, and I have not been able to actually find one. But uh, Donna DeLore and the Lone Playboy Club, who do a lot of the music for it, like that, that shit still slaps years, years, years later. It's so much fun. The workout moments are fun. The deaths are fun. There's, you know, we've got a 12-person body count by the end of the movie, which is pretty significant for an 80s low-budget slasher. Um, and we've got eight workout videos in between. So, you know, you can <laughs> you can try to burn a couple calories in between deaths. It's great. I think that would be a fun screening to do is one where there was a space, and if you wanted to work out along with the movie, you could. <laughs> Just try to keep with an up. instructor with Liam as an instructor for this screen. I cannot be, be moving that oh, much. Oh my god! There's 100%. a lot of movement in this movie. That would be the greatest cinematic experience of my life. Let's put that together, Liam. Let's do it now. I'm in. All right. We'll, we'll, well, as soon as as soon as the pandemic is over, we'll find a venue and we'll do a, <laughs> a, 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 a robicide workout uh, night. That'd be good. I'm into it. All right. So the other movie we're going to be talking about here is Drop Dead Gorgeous. I'm going to, Justin, ask you again to give a synopsis, but I just want to say, leading in, I am so thankful you chose this movie. I am so thankful because, I, I, again, not that I wouldn't want to have watched this at some point, but it just wasn't on my, like, to do soon radar. Uh, but as soon as you brought it up, I was like, yeah, why haven't I ever seen this movie? And my wife was like horrified that I'd never seen it before. She's like, this is a classic. I can't believe you haven't seen it. We're going to watch this. It's going to be great. And I really loved it. What is this movie about, Justin? Um, well, I want to first preface with saying I saw this film in theaters. I was one of the 10 people that did because this movie bombed. Like it made maybe $10 million in its entire theatrical run in, in 99. Um, and I own the DVD, which for you guys to see, this is a New Line snap case. Do you hear that? Can, can that, the podcast get that snap case? <laughs> yeah. Anybody remember those where the, yeah. they always broke and you got the proof uh, of purchase yeah, for no totally. reason? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I have owned this movie since it came out. I, I've watched this countless times. I can quote it uh, verbatim. I absolutely adore this film. Uh, this movie is about a beauty pageant, uh, specifically the American Rose teen princess pageant uh, that takes place nationally. But we're going to focus uh, in this mockumentary in the lovely Mount Rose, Minnesota. Uh, and we follow the eight uh, contestants of the uh, American Rose Mount teen princess pageant uh, as they aim for victory. Um, and along the way, there are a number of incredibly shocking and <laughs> surprising, uh, incidents as we follow, uh, one of our protagonists, uh, from being a local contestant, uh, to states and then the national competition. Um, and this movie is a comedy classic. And I, I think it is one of the most incredibly tightly written scripts. I think that this has laughs 
within minutes of laughs, within minutes of laughs, and it has big laughs that that don't stop the entire way through. Um, and and the cast is incredible. It's one of those movies that just you know I don't know if they knew back in the day when they were putting everything together who these people were going to become uh, because this is Amy Adams' first movie ever. Uh, one of Alice and Janney's early movies. The reason Alice and Janney got cast was because she knew Brittany Murphy from doing a play with her. Um, did early Denise Richards, early Kirsten Dunst, uh, Ellen Barkin, uh, Kirstie Alley, uh, Mindy Sterling, who we all know from uh, the Austin Powers movies. Um, there's just so many amazing people um, that just really got uh, an early start in this film. And it is my favorite favorite comedy of all time uh and i'm so excited that you guys liked it and want to talk about it because i feel as if this movie is the epitome of camp because this world that these characters are living in is unnatural it does not you know really exist however they fully commit to this world and nothing in it seems out of place it seems fully realized and lived in in its insanity it's so good yeah dude thomas lennon's in it it's fucking Jesus Christ. And in your friend, Allison Janney's in it, right? Isn't that your homegirl? <laughs> yep. My, uh, Allison Janney uh, retweeted me, which was one of the highlights of my life. Uh, I dressed up as Lavana, um, the mother from I, Tanya, uh, for Halloween uh, before the movie was even out. So no one knew who I was. Uh, that's fine. I didn't care. Allison Janney knew and she retweeted me. So, woo! pretty awesome gotta she's say, the man. best she's the best so good so good even with the problematic asian characters in this movie i thoroughly enjoyed it oh there, there's problematic <laughs> asian characters uh they they deal with the mentally handicapped they say the, oh my god they say the r word probably eight or nine times the differently able yeah. they they use the c word a number of times i mean this movie is so problematic but because it fully <laughs> commits to that universe in that in that world you kind of just go with it um i mean there's certainly things that you can talk about why you know under the 2020 um you know hindsight that this is oh get it 2020 hindsight yeah um it's one of those things that you can really see where the problems lie but in this universe of this film everything is hilarious yeah i mean it's it feels like a Christopher Guest movie. I think that's what right. you, when you were trying to sell me on it, or when, not sell me, but when you were telling us that this is what we were watching, I was like, oh, Christopher Guest movies. I love those. Let's do this. And as I was getting into it, I was like, wow, this really is like uh, like that kind of documentary style uh, movie making. It's fucking genius, though. It's so good, dude. Ellen Barkin in this movie is amazing. She gets a fucking beer can melted to her hand. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable! Oh my god! And when Dude. she's having the fight with with Allison Janney, and she goes, "Hey, why don't you see if there's some more beer left in that can?" And then she raises it to her <laughs> mouth and tries so to get good. something out of it. It's it's so good. Um, but yeah, so because you guys, this is I, your first time seeing it, I, I kind of just want to start off at the top and kind of know what you thought about it, and then we can kind of go through maybe some of the contestants to talk about them. I really okay. So, I the movie is obviously. There are aspects of it that are harsh uh, to watch now. Um, but other than the excessive actual dropping of the R word, which just hits my ear in a weird way now, 
a lot of the other stuff kind of felt like it worked in that world, like it kind of made sense. I think also that particular character, um, it's more about how the people around him react to him. So that was less upsetting than the movie, whatever. The, the only part that was like very much like, no, we're really just making this character the butt of all the jokes was when he gets locked into the car that's the only part where i'm like okay that's me now we're being mean but before that really he's more there to uh uh sort of highlight some of the things going on with the rest of the character so it didn't bum me out as much the uh the problematic asian characters i was like not sure what to make of it though it was to me a true delight when the white girl says that she's asian american because she was adopted by them (laughs) it was pretty much worth it for that line which fucking killed me um it's one of those things that it's so smart because it was at a time where so many people were talking about and, and if you remember back to the late 90s um there was a huge conversation in the zeitgeist of how Caucasians were emulating African Americans. Um, and so right. in, in dress and actions and songs, in, in, in words and lyrics. And so for them to then kind of take that, which is a huge dialogue that was happening at the time and skew it towards Asian Americans and an Asian family that's trying to fit in. And the daughter, by the way, if you, you didn't know, she's played by one of the biggest Japanese pop stars of all time that they got her to come and do this cameo. <laughs> she's literally known as the eternal idol in Japan because she's been a huge pop star since the 80s. Amazing. Wow. I actually did not know that. That's fucking genius. Wow. So uh, I, I think part of the reason this movie works uh, just unbelievably well for me is that our main character like i just she is charming but she's not a her performance doesn't feel like um what what am i thinking of it's not like a uh will ferrell and elf where you're just essentially naive at all times there's a naivety to her but she can also get a bit of she gets angry she gets upset she has a little bit of an attitude uh but still has that like charmingness uh to her uh and then I just love Allison Janney's character as now. Is that the neighbor or her aunt? Is it? It, It's the. It's the Loretta is the neighbor. She lives two trailers down. Remember? Right, 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 right. She is so great in this. I mean, you know, uh, not that the mom isn't also great, but Allison Janney just. I love her already, and then seeing her in this, it just, uh, it just worked so well for me. Um, But let's not forget, uh, Kirstie Alley is like the villainous of the movie and the fact that the film keeps going like our central drama plays out and then the movie's like oh we're not done here this there's film a lot more to ends do. three times before we get yes. a coda this film fully ends three times and <laughs> then we get a coda like it's nuts <laughs> it's so good so i hate will sasso i will put that out there yeah, I, I just agree. categorically never once thought he was funny, and I never will think he's funny, and I hate him so much. But um, it's funny. I was actually talking to a friend of the show, Grace Kim, about uh, about this movie after I saw it because I was thoroughly blown away by this movie. I was like, I don't believe I didn't see it. I don't believe it's not the biggest movie from 1999. And Grace had this whole thing about how she hates Denise Richards. And she was like, she was just everyone that was shitty in high school. <laughs> and, of course... Grace is the best, so, you know, I'm listening to her. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll agree to that. 
But it's just funny how, like, I think she's really, really good in this movie. And I've never, ever thought of Denise Richards as, like, a good actor. Because I can't think of any movies I've seen her in where I was, like, really, like, oh, yeah, she's doing a really good job. Oh, Tammy but and the T-Rex. Movie, but other than that, no. Uh, yeah, I started Tammy and the T-Rex and did not finish it. I'm going to put that out there, <laughs> oh, too. Oh, talk, talk uh, about You're lost. You're that, lost. I just couldn't get into it. I mean, I'll try it if you guys are telling me to watch it. But I, this is, anyway, not, not what we're talking about right now. <laughs> All sometimes is, josh sometimes i just don't know <laughs> i know and that's fair that's why i do it to keep you guessing liam that's all i'm saying but um yeah 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 i thought she was really good in this movie i thought she was uh really funny and really believable in this in this flick as like this weird entitled lady <laughs> as a character <laughs> she's white female entitlement as a character uh, oh well uh, the human embodiment of it um, so the, yeah. the mockumentary takes us through each contestant individually for us to kind of meet and get to know them. And they do such an outstanding job of immediately establishing these weirdos that you just immediately adore each of them or hate each of them for very specific reasons. <laughs> the film sets up these characters spectacularly. No, the Brittany Murphy character with the Cher impersonator yeah. or the Liza Minnelli impersonator brother. Yeah unbelievable that whole sequence of her showing the pictures yep. had me howling it was so funny holy shit it continues yeah. through the entire movie she just continues to just make all of these very specific gay references like you know during the judge's interview <laughs> do you like to swim she's like oh i love to swim i saw greg luganus at one of my brother's shows <laughs> so yeah, good so good a greg luganus whole... reference really come on guys it's so good oh my god the whole minnesotan accent thing just adds an extra patina of ludicrousness to this movie well and that's what's so great because it was post fargo but the the screenwriter uh, lona williams was from minnesota um, she's actually from Rosemont, Minnesota, which is where Mount Rose comes from. Um, and she came in second place um, in a teen beauty pageant, got a $10,000 scholarship that helped her get to college and helped her become a screenwriter and get the hell out of town. Well, I mean, that that's to me, the portrayal is very obvious. This is someone who has enough insight into this world to like... You know, you don't have to know about beauty pageants to, like, appreciate the film, but the film clearly has a take, and that take is harsh, and I felt good about that, and I felt like it really uh, lampoons it in a way that's very relatable. It's ridiculous, you know, like, when they when, when she goes to the next contest and everyone gets sick from the shellfish, it's a little like, wait, what the fuck? But it just continues this thing where it... it, it it's like jokes piling upon jokes. Like it's just this uh, cascade of ridiculousness that feels cathartic. It feels like by the time we get these uh, beauty queen hopefuls tearing apart the headquarters of the cosmetic company, it's like <laughs> I, it felt like the end of uh, of uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Like that's right. Like let's do this. Like let's rise up and tear down the rose, whatever it is, cosmetic company. You know. <laughs> oh my god! And that shellfish scene is great because they do a full like a zoom in on the banner. It's like it's Chekhov's yep. nine ninety nine shellfish. Like they set that up so beautifully. Um, and since you guys are huge Allison Janney fans from from that character, she, the thing that's so great, she the every line of this movie that she delivers is in the script. She did not ad lib once 
with one exception, which is in the TV interview um, at that moment. When she says, I got some, that was just all in the moment. And I love, love that line. It's such a cherry. Um, I, I also want to point out Amy Adams in this movie. I think the character is a, a little bit of a cheap joke, but she's so good in that role. Um, I love, like we already said, Brittany Murphy. It's just so crazy. This is one of those movies where I'm just watching being like, there's so many people who I recognize in this film doing yeah. awesome things. It's uh, 100%. I would say the only disappointment is Will Sasso. Combination, he's not funny, and it's like a regrettable joke. Other than yeah, that, every like part of this down. movie gives me delight. It just gives me a deep sense of joy. Yeah, and the dude that's with Will Sasso, Michael McShane, is the guy from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yep, yep. Uh, man, dude, and he was also in, uh, he was in some other, like, Adam Sandler movies or whatever, but man, him, and then the lady that was in the Austin Powers movies, what's her name? Mindy right. Sterling. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she Mindy. plays Iris. Oh my god, so good, so funny in this movie. This movie should have made all the money in the world, by the way. It, it came out. Yeah. It came out too early. People just didn't know what to make of it. The only mockumentaries that were really kind of known at that point were This Is Spinal Tap and Waiting for Guffman, and it didn't find those kind of indie audiences that it needed to because it went out in in major theaters. And I genuinely love that this film has established a, a cult following. Um, over the last 20 years, 21 years now, <laughs> this film's old enough to drink. Yay. Um, but it, it's one of those <laughs> movies that I find so many new things to enjoy and appreciate about it with every watch. And I've seen it hundreds of times. I mean, there's so many little things like Will Sasso's character is, is terrible. Will Sasso is terrible. But there's one bit where we're talking to his brother, where we're, we're talking um, to uh, Michael McShane, and he's just stumbling in the back with a brown paper bag and a can of paint and you can tell he's been huffing and you know that the brother right. gave him the paint to shut him up and you're just like okay this is the world <laughs> that we're living in if we don't want will sasso to talk because he's annoying and really bad at this really stereotypical character let's just have him huff paint and it's a great I bit mean, that is super subtle just the fact that this movie i mean at some level this is a teen girl drama that then burns one of the teens to death on a float in front of you <laughs> with Kirstie Allen just friggin' losing her shit in the street. And it worked. Like, no part of you, no, at least for me, no part of me was like, wow, this is an unjustified dark turn that this movie. It wait, was wait, like, wait, yeah, that's right. That I knew it that burns was... and blows to death because there's multiple. We get two yes. explosion deaths of teen girls in this movie. And and for us yeah. to be introduced to Tammy Curry, who is like that, go like all of us knew a Tammy Curry, like that girl that just did everything, won everything, was like that go getter, and she to have her explode, you know, less than ten fifteen minutes into the film, while we're meeting all of these contestants, it's such an inspired bit. It's so good. I just think too, there's there's a difference, you know, there's different kinds of like edgy humor, right? And there's the edgy humor that's like, I'm going to say all the craziest shit just to get a rise out of you, and I'm just going to push the envelope and all this stuff because it's super cool. And then there's that humor that's like, 
well, the thing I'm making fun of itself is pretty fucked up, so I can kind of do whatever I want because it's really not that different than how the real world is. That's how this movie fe- felt to me. It's not a, it's certainly not a message movie, but it's a movie where all of the jokes that feel like they're pushing the edge, I think, yeah, but he's got a point, though, you know? <laughs> like, that's a point, though. Like, that's a fair point, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, like I said... Only in only in the Will Sasso thing did it feel like a little bit like okay okay come on guys yeah yeah but yeah. the other stuff it was like you know even with the with the like we said the problematic Asian characters there's a sense there and like whenever anyone tries to be a thing it reminds us how stupid the thing is like people trying that hard to be American reminds us like oh right this whole thing is corny like the idea that anyone is trying to be American this hard is embarrassing like all of it ex- all these jokes it feels like to me exist towards a towards a point even if that point isn't always like uh obviously like political or anything like that it's it's there's like a there's like an anger underneath them that it's just more what i relate to that's it's it's being a shitster for a reason and not just like oh look at this yeah. you know it, it, it never felt yeah. like I don't know. It never felt like fucking uh, edge lord uh, uh, bullshit, you know. Yeah, yeah. It never, it never feels condescending, is what it is. Despite the risks that the movie takes in a lot of ways, like yeah. it never feels like it's talking down, except for like the Will Sasso thing. And also, Kirsten Dunst as the anchor to this entire movie is just so congenial and so likable that you buy the whole thing, right? Like, you buy the whole thing on her wave of discovery, and it's just so, I mean, she's just so likable. From from the moment we get her, oh, I'm so lucky I have a job where I can practice my talent, and she's tap dancing... Oh my god, in a around funeral the dead people. Home, <laughs> so in the embalming good. room, putting makeup oh on corpses. Like you you just don't <laughs> that's that's the first ten minutes. Like you don't know where we're gonna go from here, but you know that you love this girl who, you know, wants to get out of Mount Rose. Guys get out of Mount Rose all the time, you know, for hockey scholarships or, <laughs> or prison. But, you know, this is her one ticket out. And, and the writer has gone on record saying that she entered beauty pageants because that was her only ticket out. If she hadn't won that $10,000 yeah. prize, she maybe have been stuck in Rosemont, Minnesota. Although I love that the um, the prizes for the beauty pageant are Fifty dollars to the Botec of your choice, then seventy five, and then <laughs> it's so good, so funny. Th- this might, Holy I shit. think, this like has sh- has like shot up to the, my second favorite Kirsten Dunst performance. Like, I really think it is so charming and so good, and really holds the movie. Again, there are a lot of fun characters. There's a lot of fun performances. There are a lot of big choices, but. If she isn't as charming as she is, the whole movie doesn't work because you don't care. You don't. You're not invested, yeah. and you're certainly not willing to ride with her as death uh, calls her name again and again. The whole theme of the movie is that, technically speaking, she doesn't earn a single thing, no matter how charming <laughs> she is, uh, because of this one. I mean, she's. She's clearly screwed out of the, that first win. So it's like, okay, well, this is this is sort of the universe writing itself. But then it just keeps happening where everyone's suffering leads towards her success. But she's so charming that you're just like, yeah, okay, great. kill You can kill the whole state. And as long as it benefits her, I'm in. Like, this, that's, I'm, I'm all about it, you know? Well, yeah. well yeah, I think yeah, the movie she... wears that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Josh. No, no. I was saying she is definitely the linchpin of this entire movie. She's the reason 
that I was invested the entire way through. I was going to say, I think the movie really kind of just has its entire message and puts it out there through like one exchange between uh, Loretta Alice and Janney's character and Amber, um, which is when Loretta says, you know, good things happen to, to good people. And Amber goes, really, Loretta? And she goes, no, you're lucky as shit. Like that's, <laughs> that's this this film. Like this film is one of those things where you know it, it really tried to be the best thing that it, it could be for it, for, but it couldn't find its audience until years and years later. Um, and I feel like the thing is, is that Amber is so wonderful because she's juxtaposed with these characters. You know, she says that her mom and Diane Sawyer are her idols, and then we meet her oh mother moments later. And you have Ellen Barkin coming into the room and just, you know, telling her to take her top off only if she gets the money for these people. And that sums, <laughs> sums up the relationship right there. We now know, oh, okay, so the mom is trailer trash, um, but in, you know, genuinely loves her daughter. And then we've got this wonderful girl um, who, you know, really wants to try to, to elevate herself and, and get out. Um, of this town and and we ride that journey with her i think all of the contestants you know they basically even the contestants that are truly one note they sing that one note so hard and so strong that it just makes them all so compelling i mean i love love the character of tess winehound who's played um by shannon nelson which is the one that loves the dogs I mean that character when when we first it's so good when we we first meet her at the beginning of the film um and and she starts talking about her german shepherd that had to go live with a nice family on a farm because he attacked her and then there's this awkward pause she lifts up her shirt and says they remade my belly with skin from my butt no one asked you but it's so endearing it's so funny. I mean, it's so good. I've got it, and then you've got Michelle Johnson, who is the actress. She's the serious actress who does a monologue from Soylent Green as her talent. Like generations <laughs> oh of gay boys only know what Soylent Green is because of this movie. I'm telling you that right now, and I'm telling you that because my partner David was like, "What is Soylent Green?" I'm like, "Oh, we're gonna watch that." <laughs> Oh, so so the, so good. The way that she does the face wipes too to like begin the 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 thing, you know? Oh my god, it's so good. The 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 gravity she's trying to bring to this soily green monologue is just <laughs> it's awesome. It's stellar. Oh my gosh, so good. And then uh, Janelle yeah, Betts, dude, who's the um, so the hard. sign language uh, performer, uh, played by Oh my god, Sarah dude. Stewart. Holy shit. When that shit came on, it blew my mind. So were, <laughs> no were you exactly expecting the light to fall on her head? Did you know that was going to happen, Josh, or was that a huge shock? It blew my mind. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, no, this isn't happening right now, right? Like, yeah, fucking genius, though. But she's super that happy because the blow to her head made her deaf. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh man it's like these characters are so good oh, and then God. we put them in these situations where you know the 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 physical fitness number with the painted step ladders is i think one of the funniest like most iconic like just musical numbers of comedy like it is 
hilarious. And the fact that the audience is taking it fully seriously, except for Ellen Barkin, who is losing her shit. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, that sequence is amazing. Oh, man. I, I just, I love it so yes. much. And and Kirstie Alley and Mindy Sterling, their relationship is is incredible from the beginning, uh, when she almost hits the priest with her car. And, <laughs> and he gives the finger. Yeah, give, yeah, the priest gives the finger, and then uh, Mindy Sterling says, that's why we Lutherans use red Kool-Aid for the blood of Christ. <laughs> so good. So many, there's just so many great one-liners in this movie that I, I quote this movie constantly. Like, I, I think I say the swan ate my baby for no reason all the time. There's, there's a gif that is whenever I sign on to Twitter and it goes, you're frequently used. It's Brittany Murphy screaming the word gay at her father. I use that gif constantly. Uh, it's so good. Brittany Murphy's performance, you know, there's another layer and level to it. If you watch it again and again, you'll notice she she's the only character that never looks directly at the camera because she's a little dim. So she's always looking at the person who's talking or interviewing to her and not the camera. And it's such a choice. And I love it so much. Dude, she's such a charming character, too, in this movie. Like, she's like the nice one. at the. Oh, man, it's just her. But that character. But but. But that idea that you knew that person, I mean, is a little different for us, probably, Josh, because we grew up closer to a city. But the idea that, like, there was that person who went to New York one time and that was their fucking identity was like, I went to New York. My brother's there. That's like all the You know what I mean? Like that that whole and the way she keeps bringing it up. Oh, my God. Every time I fucking lost it. It's just so good. (laughs) So brilliant. Man. So obviously, this movie needs to be uh, brought back. People need to know. You guys, it was the 20th anniversary last year, and I was like, Warner Brothers, you're going to put out a 20th anniversary Blu-ray, right? You're going to, you know, put out something. And it popped up on Hulu for like three to six months, I don't know, some period of time. And then it went off of Hulu just without any warning. Uh, And now it's up on HBO Max. But this is a movie that everyone that I have ever shown this to has loved it not liked it loved it yeah i definitely loved it i definitely loved it for sure so did melani oh good your beautiful wife melani <laughs> yes yes both loved it <laughs> oh man we didn't even talk about my my all my favorite character in the movie is is last year's winner who i absolutely oh. <laughs> love it's just such my when God. they when they go to the hospital and the hospital has four sections the emergency room, the burn unit, and the anorexia and bulimia wing. And then Unbelievable. And then we go in there and we see Amber, you know, combing the hair of, of last year's winner, Mary Johansson. Um and, and <laughs> the hair gets, falling out and everything. Yeah. Oh my god. She gets she gets just full hair pulled out and then Denise Richards shows up and, <laughs> with a box of chocolates and she goes, Real nice, she's anorexic. And then my favorite fucking line is She's skinny, Amber, not deaf. (laughs) And then when they wheel her out for the performance (laughs) in the wheelchair, holy Moses. But that's that's one of those moments of comedy, though, that is as equally haunting as it is funny. Like That's partly why it's so... This is like the definition of black comedy. It's like the definition of just a dark, bitter soul that 
in its bitterness is only that much more funny. Right. And then we get Denise Richards' performance for her talent. So you guys had the first time watch. What did you think when she sang Frankie Valley off key and then Jesus was wheeled out on the cross? Oh, oh my, my God. God. Dude, when the Jesus rolls out on the cross. Holy fuck. Unbelievable. And she's hugging. It's hugging. Oh, my God. Yeah, I couldn't even talk. The the Velcro. When the Velcro, when she Velcros Jesus off of the cross to give her a hug and then skips off. It's so good. And dude, her carrying the cross, though. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. That whole. Wow. That that sequence is amazing. My, so they had a bunch of extras in the audience and a number of them walked out while they were filming it because they didn't know what was going to happen. And they were so offended. Uh, we already got a taste of that when she's part of the Lutheran gun club or whatever <laughs> it is. Like there was already a sense in which this was going to be part of the theme. But that moment is just so fucked up. It's so good. It's so good. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh-oh. Brilliant. And all of the minor characters that they keep cutting to, we, we meet, meet um, uh, Iona, who's the librarian who was Miss Mount Rose, 1945. <laughs> in, in the original ending, she was actually the one that went on the shooting rampage, but it didn't test well, so they reshot it with Kiersey Alley doing it. Which is nuts, Man. because I'm like, why would you even think that? Like, it's so perfect with Kirstie Alley's character, and, and yeah, but uh, I, I love that. I love uh, Connie Rudrud, who's the St. Paul's Pork Products spokeswoman. So good. Oh, I never would have won without my St. Paul's Pork Products. Oh, I love them so much. I work here now. It's so good. I've seen this movie so many times. It's so good, Justin. It's so good. Oh, my God. I I love that part because the idea that this is an example of this sort of success, this is so important because you could end up in a local pork products commercial. (laughs) And who would want to miss the opportunity of the local pork products commercial is so it's just so dark and so good and then when she's covered in blood in the commercial oh jesus it's so good oh okay we i think we could just we could just talk about all the funny parts of this movie all night i think we should get you know wrap up a little bit here i'm assuming anyone listening at this point has seen this movie and they are just as stoked on it as we are if for some reason you have not seen this movie it's available on hbo max there is a dvd you can get for <laughs> i will say on warner, Amazon. warner archives re-released the dvd um and it is available because this used to go for like a hundred dollars on ebay for a while there so it is available now on wow. on uh, amazon and other places i was about to say on amazon right now you can get the warner archive re-release for twelve dollars or you can get the classic snap case for $49. <laughs> so up to you what you think, it, which is worth your time. And if you're holding your breath for that Blu-ray, Blu-ray.com lets you know, know that it's not scheduled to come out anytime soon. So it's a bummer. I, I mean, I'll straight up say, like, yo, like, uh, A, Waxworks or Deathwall needs to put out the soundtrack for Killer Workout. And then one of y'all companies needs to step up with this drop dead gorgeous uh 
Blu-ray. There's just no reason for it not to exist. I think there's a market for it. I think there's a fan base for the movie. And I think it's one of those movies that if enough people get stoked on the Blu-ray, then other people will check it out because of that excitement. Like, you can't downplay that with the right rollout, people who don't know the movie are going to make an effort to try to see it. You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah, 100%. And I think that, you know, this movie, it's a shame because uh, Lona Williams, who wrote it, she actually also is the woman that plays the third judge, Jean Kangas, is played by the screenwriter. (laughs) Um, And actually, she was supposed to play the candy striper girl. Um, You know, would a nice cool mint help if I shoved your head up your ass? But she uh, and the director didn't get along, so he moved her to a role that had no speaking. And so she was just a featured extra, and she had such a a problem... Uh, on the set of this film, and then her movie right after this was called Sugar and Spice, which was about a bunch of cheerleaders that rob a bank, um, but it came out right after Columbine, um, so that tanked oh. as well, and she did not have a writing credit um, up until uh, a couple of years ago. Um, she worked on the story for Scout's Guide to the Apocalypse, uh, which is a fun little horror movie that was directed by out gay horror director Christopher Landon, who went on to make the Happy Death Day movies. Oh, there you go. Love those Happy Death Day movies. Oh, so much fun. I s- still haven't seen the second one. Second one is good. It is it is different but wonderful. Different genre. Watch. It, it, I'm in. It, it's one of the few times when it goes in an entirely new direction and is still good. Like, a lot of times if it's like, oh, it's totally different than the first, it's like, well... Okay, what is that? You know, like, is that going to work? And I felt like it was such an interesting way to reinvent the the thing itself, but still work with the other movie. I don't know. I really liked both of them a lot. Okay, <laughs> I do Duly too. Noted. <laughs> um, okay, well, hey, Justin, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you guys for having me. This was such an incredible treat. I love that I got to be the gay guy that forced to awesome straight guys to watch Drop Dead Gorgeous and Killer Workout, but Drop Dead Gorgeous has such a cult gay following um, you, you can find anywhere. In Philadelphia, there's actually a group of drag queens that lip-synced the entire film. Awesome. You love it. Um, and I'm really, really glad that I was able to help introduce you guys to it uh, because it's just a fun, fun, funny movie um, that is the epitome of camp. Let me go ahead so and good. encourage listeners out there. I'm sure that's probably happening somewhere near you, too. You should check it out because especially if if you've made it this far, but you haven't actually seen this movie, I think you really should not only try to see it, but also any sort of live performance or in-theater screening. I mean, obviously, we're living in the midst of the end of the world, but assuming the world comes back enough for people <laughs> to lip-sync to Drop Dead Gorgeous, you really need to go check that out because that sounds amazing. Yeah, man. And Justin, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. I really hope that you come back and are a guest again on the show. That would be Wait, an this honor isn't going to be the last episode? Yeah, I'll totally come back. <laughs> Is, do you want people to find you on social media? Is this a thing you would desire? Yeah, um, feel free to come and uh, say hi to me. I'm on Twitter, at Jay Nordell. Uh, Jay as in joke, N as in noise, O-R-D as in dog, E-L as in llama, L as in the second L in llama. 
Uh, just my first initial <laughs> last name. Um, I'm on Instagram as Mogwai47 because that was my AOL screen name and it rocks. Um, <laughs> and uh, if you find me on Facebook, that's nice. But I've maxed out on the number of friends I'm allowed to have. So find me on one of the other ones. Um, but you can find out more about the uh, Philadelphia Folk Festival, which is going to be all digital. Y'all can watch it uh, from anywhere. Um, and you can find out at folkfest.org. Um, and uh, it's pay what you can starting at $25 a day. And all of the music is going to be available on demand for a period of time after. So if you come for the whole thing, there's literally over 100 hours of music that you're going to have access to. Um, and we've also recorded all 58 years of the festival. Um, we have um, the last recorded uh, performances of um, uh, Doc Watson, uh, the last recorded performances of, oh, if I could put time in a bottle, his name is uh, that guy. Shoot. I'm really bad at this. Uh, well, uh, John, Taylor? early John Denver, early Bonnie Raitt. So we're going to be having a lot of those really rare uh, and exciting recordings and also lots of video from the last couple of years up there as well on demand. So check it out. Support a nonprofit uh, during the pandemic if you can. If you can't, there is a scholarship application so that you can come for free. And I would love Cinepunk's listeners to apply and, and be able to, to be gifted with it because you sat through my ramblings with these two guys for well <laughs> over an hour. So you deserve it. Um, so if you can pay, that's awesome. If you can't, that's also awesome. Uh, but thank you so much for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Dude, Justin, I love you. You're awesome. You've always been awesome to us, and I appreciate that so much. <laughs> yep. Great great guest, great conversation, great movies. <laughs> All right. So that's it. Episode 115, Dunzo. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And please uh, rate, review, and subscribe because that's what we like as podcasters. And oh, also yeah. tell a friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let your friends know if you enjoyed the show. Just let, you know, people are like, hey, I need some podcasts to listen to while the world yeah. ends. Just be yeah. like, ah, there's a show called Cinepunks. You should definitely listen to that. Find so, us uh, on the on the socials. It's C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X on everything. That's what it is. Yeah. We're on the gram. We're on the Twitter. We're on the Facebook. We're not on the TikTok, unfortunately. But you know, I'm good with it. That's fine. Uh, yeah, just, it's, it's Justin no Lure is so you know he's he's a cinephile <laughs> guy. So you could watch him play with his dog on TikTok if you want. I don't know whatever you want to do. <laughs> and uh, check out some of the other shows on the network. We got a lot of great shows. Uh, uh, weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Evil Eye, Horror Business, Blacks and Dispatches, lots and lots of stuff. So uh, head over to cinepunks dot com c i n e p o n x dot com check out all the stuff we got there uh we're going to be bringing the store back too and part of bringing the store back is we're going to have pre-orders up for a new cinepunk shirt and i'll tell you the shirt isn't going to exist unless we sell 12 shirts that's the minimum we gotta sell (laughs) so if you want one of these cool shirts when you see them you're going to need to to put your money where your mouth is okay cool All right. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Justin. Talk to you guys later. Smoke bomb. Sitting on that bench, waiting cause I'm tense. Going down, feeling like my life is almost over. To say I've been made my way, but I'm not gonna be a lost soldier. 
What they want from me 